How we doing? Good. So the band up here, so thankful for them, right? Their roots are, are local. Uh, Joey Metter's dad from the Valley went up to Portland, started a church called Athe Christian Fellowship up there. So he's like a missionary to a savage land, right? <laughs> and it's so good to know that the gospel is thriving in Portland because Jesus' name is proclaimed and yeah. There's a faithful witness up there, and it's an amazing thing. Jesus. We're glad to be your people. We're glad that there is a move of your spirit wherever your name is proclaimed, wherever scriptures are taught, wherever the gospel is presented, because it is the power of God into salvation. So thank you. May your blessing be on A.T. Creek this day. May there be missionaries being sent out from there into the surrounding area, proclaiming through both word and deed that you are alive and you're the king. We pray for us today. We're so grateful that we have your mind, that we don't have to be controlled by culture or by feelings or by our own thoughts, that we can take every thought captive to you, running what we're thinking or feeling through the grid of the gospel, through the grid of your resurrection, through the grid of our citizenship in heaven, that we don't have to be tossed to and fro by feelings and thoughts. We can be anchored solidly to you. So we pray this morning as we study the book of Philippians, may we be firmly anchored. May we have your mind. May we think like you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So what do you think America's biggest pet peeve is? I'm gonna say, I know everyone has an opinion. I'm gonna say because of our roots, because we came out of Europe with kind of dictatorial kings that did what they wanted and you peasants and whatever, that one of the biggest peeves we have in America is hypocrisy. When people in power tell you and me, the peasants, to do certain things, but they don't do it, right? That drives us crazy. I think it's actually a worldwide peeve. So go back to COVID lockdowns in England. They're locked down tighter than anywhere in the United States. And Boris Johnson, the prime minister, decides he's gonna throw a party. No masks, no social distancing, doing whatever he wants. And it gets outed, right? The photos get out. And from that day, he lost power, ends up getting outed because they said, no, you're a hypocrite. How about our side of the pond? Gavin Newsom the governor of California, right? Remember when they were locked down, when there was pictures of the interstates down in LA and there's not a car on them. Like it looks like the apocalypse had hit. You're like, whoa. Well, what did he do? Went to San Francisco, 
had a big dinner, had a bunch of friends there, no social distancing, no mask, right? And there was outcry, like, are you kidding? And then just a little while after that, he's in Sacramento, the capital, and he is on a press conference saying how hard it is because the public schools in Sacramento were locked down. There was no in-person students meeting. He's like, it's so difficult, you know? You got your kids here and all, like he's moaning how hard it is. And then someone did some research. Turns out his kids didn't go to public school. They went to private school. And the private school his kids went to, nah, still having in-student learning, right? And it was just this kind of like, ah! It's Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago getting a haircut when no one in Illinois was allowed to get a haircut. Remember there's like that one rebel barber that was like, I'll still do them, right? And she's like, when she was called on it, she goes, well, I'm in front of a lot of people and I gotta get my haircut. Oh, Pelosi did the same thing. It makes us like, ah! Right, the, the governor's husband, uh, I think it was Michigan, had to go travel somewhere where he wasn't supposed to because they had a boat and he had to take care of the boat. Sinners without masks, right? Hypocrisy drives us crazy because they're important people and we're just peon morons. That makes us mad. It's George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, where he says, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than other animals, right? You guys are filthy animals. We can do what we want. That will make you and me ticked. And so the results of this kind of thing that has happened, as I step back and I look at our country, at our culture, you know what I've noticed? We are more divided because of these things than we've ever been before in history. I'm 50 years old, half a century, I haven't seen anything as bad as it is right now. Even though Joe Biden in his inaugural address almost two years ago, he promised nine times, he promised in his inaugural address, I am gonna unify America. Has he unified America? I think the opposite has happened. I think we're more divided on issues of race. I think we're more divided on the riots and uh, entitlements of certain kinds of people. So my daughter's filling out applications right now for scholarships. And I can't believe it, on these scholarship forms, there's this, hey, if you are this special class of person that chooses to be this special class of person, there's a $5,000 scholarship available for you. I'm like, what? That's insanity, right? That's dividing us more than ever. Health decisions taken out of our Ukraine. We're, we're just dividing every single area, right? When he says, hey, my patience is growing thin with you, that divides us even more. So the newest oxymoron, you know what it is? The United States of America. Because we are the divided states of America. And now we have a culture that I think is preying on and using any wedge possible to make more divisions and more people and more splintered identity groups. It's like glass that you keep hitting with a hammer just to make little more and more shards that cut and drive people apart. Like one moment, you're a darling and then you make one mistake and you're out. Elon Musk, five years ago, he was the darling of the progressives. Hey, yeah, you're gonna save the world with your electric cars. Now, he's been demoted. He's back down with you and me. He's unimportant, right? He's a moron. That's what's happened. More people are extremists. More people are threats. More people are Nazis. It's just like, man, do we throw these words around? We are as divided as ever. The thing that I'm super thankful for today, you know what it is? that the elections are over. Like, oh, oh, thank you. 
All right. Didn't go probably the way most of us want, but I am so thankful just to be over. And guess what? I have to trust Jesus even more than before. All right, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> so into the divided states of America comes Philippians chapter two. One of the most brilliant sections of scripture. If I wasn't in this race to complete this book at Christmas, because it's about happiness, joy to the world. I would spend a couple Sundays on this. It is brilliant. You can go back and meditate on it and read it over and over. And what I love most is this. There's no hypocrisy, none whatsoever. Because our King, King Jesus, doesn't say, hey, you guys do this, but I'm not doing it. Our King is our example. He lives it, shows us, demonstrates it for us. So it's real simple. It's you, Jesus, a happy disposition. It's brilliant. Let's check it out. Verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy Complete my joy. Make me happy. Here's how to be happy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What's the big ask in these verses? Can't we all just get along? That's the big ask. Be of the same love. Be of the same mind. Be in full accord. Be agreeing with each other, right? Can't we all just get along? Doesn't seem like we can. So this story hit, it was actually took place a couple months ago, but it hit, for some reason it hit the news big this last week. Perhaps you saw it, it's bickering pilots cause Alaskan Airlines flight to return to the gate. Two professionals, you think they're professionals, right? They're fighting so much, they turn an entire plane around. They just stop it on the uh, tarmac, turn it around, go back to the gate, and they have this video of one of the pilots just madder than heck getting off the plane and running out. Like, are you kidding me? So then everyone's like, what happened in there? Were they having a conversation about religion or politics or a mean tweet or something? You know what I think happened? They just had a conversation now. That's how devices we, we are. One's like, hi. The other one's like, I hate you. Okay, I'm out, right? That's where we're at today, right? Like professionals can't even get along like this. It's insane to me. And, and so you, you read stuff like this, you know your own heart, and you're like, well, how do we get along? How do we have the same mind? How do we have one accord? How do we do that? Do we need to be monks? Do we need to have like uh, a mute button where we talk one sentence a year and that's it? Like, how do we get along? Well, thanks for asking. I think Paul tells us. He says, number one, do nothing from selfish ambition. 
no selfish ambition. Now, ambition is a gift. If you read the book of Proverbs, probably a third of it revolves around good ambition. Ambition's a gift. Selfish ambition is a curse. What's the difference? It's our motives. It's our goals. Right? Is it money or is it meaning? Is it power or is it purpose? Christianity can be used as ambition or selfish ambition. People are like, man, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. Why? So I can have power. So I can get up there in the pulpit and tell people what they can and can't do. So I can knock people out with the power of the Spirit. Or, no, I'm going to be full of God's Spirit, so I'm changed and I'm healed and I'm made into a person that can be used as a conduit of God's grace and goodness and power. Okay, good then, right? It's ambition or selfish ambition. And the line between them, it is a razor thin line, is it not? And we gotta be always challenging and checking our heart. Is this ambition or selfish ambition? Okay? One builds, one unifies, the other destroys. So me, I've got ambition. 10 years ago, 2012, I decided I need to go back to school. If I'm gonna be doing this thing, leading this church, I need more education. I was in it about seven years. Yeah, I need more education. So I went back to seminary. I have ambition, no problem with that. But here's what happened in seminary. I'm 40 years old. I'm there with these young men, most of them 24 years old or so. So I'm almost old enough to be their dad. And so what would happen is from time to time, I'd go to lunch with them. And this is how I bet 20 times I had this repeat, this kind of conversation. Hey, you're old. Yes. What do you do? I pastor a church. Most of them are in school to do what I'm doing right here. They want my job, right? Guess what the next question was after they found out I pastor a church? Guess what the next question was? How big is it, right? That's it, selfish ambition. How big is it? Now, I could have done the humble brag thing. Like, oh, well, you know, God has been so gracious and so good to me. You know, I know the average church is like 72 people, but man, the church that I pastor, it's like uh, 20 times that size, you know. <laughs> but God's been so good, it's all his mercy and grace, you know. But yeah, he used me to do it. I, right? So I had to walk this fine line between, okay, ambition and selfish ambition, because it's in me to brag, no doubt about it. So I had to be careful. So I had this standard answer. We were still meeting at Fruitdale Elementary School in the gym, right? So my answer would be like this. Well, we started in 2005 and we're still meeting in an elementary school gym. And this would be the response I'd get. Oh, bro, I am so sorry. Let me pray for you. You wouldn't believe how hard it was to press down inside myself the desire to say, you don't have to pray for me. I am successful right? But I know this, right there is the line in my heart between ambition and selfish ambition. And whenever I cross that line, the humble brag, the, you know, what, I'm successful. Whenever I do that, guess what it robs me of? Happiness. Because I'll go away from that meeting or I'll be sitting in my bed at night and I'll think to myself, that was so stupid. Why do I care what a 24-year-old thinks about me? 
What is wrong with me? And it robs me. We have to be a people, if we're gonna actually be unified, we have to be a people that guard our hearts against this selfish ambition because it divides. Number two, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And this is a great word. It's two Greek words, uh, kinos, which means empty, and doxa, which means glory. Empty of glory. Do nothing from empty of glory. Or I would just put it this way. Do nothing because you're glory starved. Do you know that every human is glory starved? There's all of inside of every one of us is this motivation to be noticed, to be important, to matter, to be significant. And part of that's okay, but oh man, that desire can drive you into the dirt. It's an insatiable appetite, is it not? Like has anyone important ever noticed something you've done and told you or told the group how great you are? A boss or maybe a military leader or a teacher or professor, whoever it is. Man, doesn't that fill your cup? You're like, yeah, uh-huh. Have you ever come into a room where people are talking nice about you when you come in there? You ever get tired of that? Now stop talking about me. Now please stay, keep, right? That's in us all. And part of it's okay, but oh, be so careful because this emptiness in all of us, this desire in us, it will drive you to do crazy things. Do you know that? You want an example of it? I'll give you an example. The Kardashians. And I know you're going to email me about that. That's fine. No problem. Matt, edgewaterfellowship.org. Go ahead. Okay. The world has tilted because of that family. Right? Things have changed because of that family. And they have a, a, some of them have an empty doxa. And I'll prove it to you. I knew when I saw this story, I'm going to use this one day. Check out this one right here about Kim Kardashian. Just read it because I don't want to read it out loud. She did not say pop. She didn't say soda pop. Add an O, that's what she's saying. That's empty doxa. I want to look this way and I will do whatever is, even the grossest thing I could think about. Why? Because I want to stay in the limelight. That's the craziness of empty doxa. And that's in every single one of us. It starts with our little kids, right? Watch me, dad. Watch me again, dad. Watch me again, dad. Watch me go down the slide. Watch me go down the slide. Watch me go down the slide, right? Over and over. Watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And then we grow up. And 2.6 billion photos are taken every day. And you know what most of them are? Selfies, watch me, look at me, be real, right? All this stuff. We never grow out of it. We want to be noticed. We want it. What if we became the kind of people that do what we do not to be noticed, not to be important, not to be complimented. We do what we do because it is the right thing to do. What Paul is asking is he's saying, hey, when you love people or you're kind to people or you're compassionate or you help the least of these that can never repay you, do it because it's right. Don't do it because you're getting on Instagram because that's gonna do something to you. You'll end up saying stuff like that. Be careful of this thing. This empty, empty doxa will drive and drive and drive and drive you into the ground. When you do things because they're right, period, then you have the opportunity to have your soul shaped by the sacred. 
and you become something that you actually want to be. You're unified in a way that you're not normally unified. And to me, one of the biggest divisions that has happened in our world is titles now, right? You wanna put someone in their place, you use your title, right? Pastor, reverend, doctor of theology, PhD of hermeneutics. What do you do the moment you pull out that card? Right, you put someone in their place. I don't like titles. So Wednesday morning, I was teaching just this last Wednesday, we're doing a little series on the spirit realm and someone's the first row and I was getting ready to start talking and she said, hey, Matt, I have a question. She goes, oh, I'm sorry, I should call you Pastor Matt. I said, no, you shouldn't. Call me Matt, right? I don't want a title. I said, if you're gonna call me anything, call me Saint Matt. That's it. (laughs) Because all of us are saints, right? That's what the gospel does. We're all the same. We're all saints, not because of how great we are. We're all saints because we're in the family of Jesus. And when you're in the family of Jesus, you are a saint. It unifies us. It gets rid of these divisions. That's what I want. So we've got to guard our hearts against empty glory because it will drive you and you will never be able to satisfy that appetite. No empty glory. So don't do that. And he says, do do this. Verses three and four. But you're not conceited, you're not selfish ambition, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Say yes to tribe. Be interested in the well-being of other people. That's the big ask here. Don't do things this way. Instead, be interested in the well-being of others. This was brought home to me maybe five or six years ago. I was studying at my house in my little study, and my house is there's a dead end. You take a right, go down a gravel driveway for a while. Take another right, go down a driveway for a while. Take a left, and you end up at a dead end at my house. You don't get to my house unless you're trying to get it there, right? Like it's off the map. So I'm at my house studying. All of a sudden, my kids bust into my study and they're like, dad, there's some crazy guy here in a beat up old truck. Come out here, dad. I'm like, what in the world? I come out there and there's a dude, obviously chemically enhanced. because He's like, all right, man, all right, man, all right. He's got this beat up truck. He's got some stuff in the back of it and he keeps kind of move this tarp over a motorcycle that's kind of covered up in the back, but it's not totally covered. And it doesn't look like that motorcycle belongs in the back of his truck, right? So I'm like, hey bro, what's going on? He's like, oh man, uh, you know, I thought, this, I thought this road went through right here and I thought it kept going and so I was back here and I was, I'm looking for a gas station because I just ran out of gas and I'm like, what? What are you talking about, man? He's like, well, I'm out of gas and I don't have any money. I'm like, you're looking for a gas station, but you don't have any money to buy gas? And then why would you look for a gas station? I don't know, man, I just need some gas. I ran out right here, I need some gas. And at that point, I just want, I want this guy gone. I want him off my property. So I'm like, okay, here, half a gallon of gas, go, right? So he leaves, I'm like, whoo, go into my study, sit down. 15 minutes later, Buddy stops by. My kids are still like amped up about this, you know, this action, like what happened? So they tell that my buddy that shows up, hey man, this guy crazy with you, right? So he comes into my study, he's like, what happened? So I retell the whole thing. He's like, man, I can't believe you did that. I said, what do you mean? He's like, that's not right. So you get him off your property, 
but he's out here scoping for stuff to steal. So he goes over to the widow down the road down there and he goes on her property and she can't defend herself and he hurts the widow and takes stuff from her. That's not fair, Matt. You should not have done that. I'm like, what? What am I supposed to do? Take his picture, call the cops, follow him out of here. Say, bro, you need help. You need to go to the gospel rescue. You need to do something. What you did was not right. I was like, I hate you. (laughs) But he was right. I was looking on the interest of Matt Heverly, and that's it. I wasn't even concerned about the drug addict. Wasn't concerned about my widow that didn't live down the road. Wasn't concerned about what he was going to do. I didn't do any of that because I was only interested in myself. What Paul is asking us to do right here is brilliant. He's saying, become a different kind of community, a community of people that, that know they're connected because we're connected. Do you know that? We're either going to be connected by chaos and crime or we'll be connected by our care for one another. That's the two connections that we can have. And we start acting like me, just kicking the can down the road. All right, well, you just let that stuff happen to the next person down the road. That doesn't help anybody. You got to be wider and think broader and think better than that, right? And I think gone is the day of the lone hero. And the lone hero comes in and saves the day. Gone is the day of the Clint Eastwoods or the John Waynes or whoever it is. We need a collection of interested citizens of heaven that are saying, not in my town, not in my county. This isn't happening here. We'll help you if you want help, but not in my town. That's how things change. That's how Grants Pass becomes an outpost, a colony of heaven, how things get changed into something brilliant and beautiful. And that's the call of Christians. It's not just about you, Matt, not just about your territory. It's about, yes, that person, and not letting evil continue to ruin him and not allowing the evil that's in him to ruin people around him him as well. And you're called to do that, Matt. We need to be that kind of place. Jeremiah 29 is the example of it. It says to believers that are in Babylon, a really evil, bad place, here's how you cooperate. Here's how you get along. Here's how you transform a city so it becomes something different. Be interested in the well-being of the people around you. That's how communities change, right? This is unity, no conceit, no selfish ambition. Be interested in other people. And our example, that's for us, is Jesus. Check this out. Verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, God in the flesh, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Number one, Jesus was humble. Why do we fail in being humble people? Insecurity. The biggest fail is because I'm insecure and I need to then tell people how great I am. That's when I fail. And I'm a man, so I just know the man's perspective. So men, if you get a group of men together and men begin to talk, what do men always do to each other? We do this thing called one-upmanship, right? So right now it's hunting season. So a man comes into a group of men, he's like, man, bag my deer this last weekend, feeding my family. 
And then someone will have to say, you hunt pets? I hunt elk, right? And then someone else is like, you guys use guns? I use a bow and arrow. I made the bow from Brazilian hardwood I harvested on a mission trip for King Jesus in the Amazon rainforest. And then someone else is like, you guys use weapons? I jump out of a tree with a knife. And someone's like, you hunt mammals with weapons? I tear the heads off pterodactyls. That's what I do, right? What's that called? Wadumpenship. And men do it all the time. Because since Adam, we are insecure. We always feel there's this a failure, a collective male failure in the mandate that was given to us by our Heavenly Father. And we feel it, so then we compensate. And we're insecure. So how does humility succeed? Become secure. Was Jesus secure? Yes, it's telling us he's secure. Right? He's in the form of God. You can't add anything to that, right? You can't make more God God, right? He's God in the flesh. No compliment, no one-upmanship is going to add anything to Jesus, period. So Jesus comes to an insignificant little town and nobody notices God. He helps Joseph build a table or a barn or a stable and nobody notices that it's God. It doesn't take anything away from Jesus because he is secure in who he is. It's security. That's what we're supposed to have. We need more security, right? The power to unify us is right here if we become a humble kind of people. So when a guy brags about the buck he got, it's not one upmanship, it's man, that's awesome, good for you. Does that take anything away from me? No. Hey man, let's have venison together because steaks really are expensive right now. Invite me over for dinner. Man, that's a much better way to go about it. Jesus demonstrates humility. That when we understand who we are, citizens of heaven, listen, a compliment doesn't add anything to me. That's great, but I don't need it because I don't know who I am. Humility. Number two, it says, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus took the form, Greek morphe, he morphed into a servant. Now, this is one you got to tease out. Jesus didn't come to serve. He came to be a servant. Is there a difference? Yeah. If I decide to serve, I'm in control. I'll serve when I want, how I want, how long I want, and what kind of things I'll serve in, right? And if there's something that I don't want to serve in, well, good news. Christianity has given me this language called Christianese to get out of anything I don't want to do, right? So Christianese is religious language to disobey God. So if there's some opportunity, hey, Matt, this weekend, we're going and we're collecting some firewood together for a widow that needs firewood to stay warm this winter because electricity is really, really expensive. Can you come help us? Well, I've got Christianese to help me right here. You know, I'm just not really called to firewood widow ministry, but I'll pray for you right? Oh, hey, Matt, single mom with some kids. They need to move from one house to another house. And we just need everybody with trucks to get over there and just do it really quick. Can, can you come and help? You know, God's not really leading me to move widows or move single moms right now. I can't do it, right? Or, hey, Matt, Joe's Place uses this restaurant out in CJ where they bring kids in and bless them. And this restaurant's been really great to them. So we want to go out there and just do this big, deep clean to bless this restaurant. Can you come out and do this big, deep clean out there? 
you know, cleaning is not my spiritual gift. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you. Right? We have all this language coded in because we're deciding to serve. Guess what? Servants don't get to decide. A servant serves. A servant does what the master tells the servant to do. Whether they like it or whether they do, they do not like it, they don't get a choice in it. They are a servant. Jesus came and became the form of a servant. So he is in the garden of Gethsemane. He is praying. He says, my soul is sorrowful unto death. How sorrowful is that? About as sorrowful as you can get. Why is Jesus so sorrowful? Because of the cross. Jesus does not say in that moment, well, you know, I'm not called to the cross, I think. I'm not being led to the cross. The cross isn't my spiritual gift. What does Jesus say in that moment? Not my will, but thy will be done. That's what servants say. Not my will, but thy will be done, because he's a servant. I think the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a servant. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You belong to him. And we're supposed to say to God, okay, I'm a servant reporting for duty. What you ask me to do, I will do. And here's the thing about the cross. It says this in the Bible, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That what God asked me to do as his servant, he's not a horrible taskmaster wanting to take something away from me. Rather, he is my heavenly father saying, Matt, if you will trust me in this, it will bring you joy. I've never said yes to God on something where I was miserable. Has it happened to me yet? Might happen in the future. Hasn't happened yet. I found the opposite. And I've had to make some hard decisions. So I'm dating my now wife, but at that point, not my wife. See, I'm just dating Charity. And head over heels for her, I wanna marry her. Decided to go to the school of ministry, which meant I'm gonna be away from her down in Mexico for three and a half months, and then live out in Rouge for the next nine months with 24 men in an A-frame cabin. So won't see her much in that year. When graduation was coming from the year in the school of ministry, I could not wait, because I'm like, I'm gonna marry this gal. I've lived in a house with 24 men. I'm gonna marry her. I'm done with this, right? Well, graduation night, I'm brought in and they say, hey, we got an opportunity for you. We'd like you to go teach at a Bible college in the South Pacific in the islands of Vanuatu. And I heard that and I thought, that sounds a lot like I don't want to. That's what Vanuatu sounds like to me. But I did it. Best year of my single life. Brilliant. Wouldn't give that up for anything. In the moment, oh, I do not want to do that but trusting. Okay, God, I'm your servant. I'm going to pray about this. I got a peace about it. I did it. And it was brilliant. It was the best. We're called to be servants, not to serve, to be a servant. It's different. And then finally, it's exaltation. Look at this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Exaltation. Jesus, form of a servant, humbles himself, even in the death of the cross. Because of that, there's now exaltation. Peter, I think, summarizes this entire idea in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Or verse 6. Humble yourselves. That is a decision you have to make. Circumstances can help, but I know people that have gone through humbling circumstances that have come out of it more prideful than before because it's a decision you have to make. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, due season, it's an agrarian term, at the proper time, due season, he may exalt you. You do this, and what happens is, in due season, at the right moment, when God knows you're ready, exaltation comes. You can't rush ripening a fruit. Did you know that? You can't rush it. You can't speed it up. What happens when you try to speed up farming? You end up with store-bought tomatoes. What do store-bought tomatoes taste like? Disappointment, right? They look good, right color, right shape, beautiful, good texture, and they taste like flavored water. Like, ah! You know what I love in the summertime? A ripe tomato. I'll take a salt shaker and go out when they're still hot in like August, pull them off with salt, eat it like an apple. Nothing better. Nothing better. Because it's ripened in due season. When we try to speed things up on our own time frame, oh my goodness, we make mistakes. You get into high debt, you end up in a physical relationship that just is a pestering problem for you because you're trying to speed it up. This whole section is saying, listen, watch how Jesus does it and it will turn out brilliantly. Learn the lesson of the garden. If you want life to sweeten, patience is the best sweetener. Wait for him. This is how you get unified. This is how you have that joy, that happiness that comes when there's not division and separations, when you give up your conceit and your selfish ambition, where you look at the interests of other people, where you're humble, where you're serving, and God in the due season brings you up to the spot that you can handle. Ah, oh, it's brilliant then. It's brilliant. This is the only path to unity. Jesus is our model, right? And I began, I said this, I said, has there been a person that, you thought it was important. That was up there, a professor, whatever it was, and they gave you a compliment, and the moment they noticed you, said something about you, man, your cup just ran over. You're like, wow, okay. Isn't that the gospel? Hasn't the most important person in the universe said to you and said to me, you're my beloved. You are a citizen of the greatest kingdom in existence. You are my son, you are my daughter. Today I have adopted you. We're supposed to allow the gospel to do that. And guess what happens? You're no longer glory starved because your cup runs over. You no longer put your priorities or your focus on things that will only disappoint you because you realize they can't add anything to me already. I'm a saint 
because of the work of Christ Jesus.